begin a series today, What Really Died on the Cross, and uh, our little um, bumper video there for the series just kind of gives us some reflections on the cross. It's funny that we don't really <clears throat> often, as Protestants, look at Jesus on the cross. Um, when the Protestant Reformation happened, they moved away from the idea of the crucifix, where Jesus hangs on the cross, because the idea was, I think, that, uh, that the... Um, Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. He's resurrected, right? So why do we look at him on the cross? Which is valid, uh, but doesn't always work. We uh, we have no problem putting out nativity scenes at uh, Christmas time with Jesus still in the manger. He's not there either, but uh, but you know what I'm saying. But I think it's important that we take some time as we approach Easter to consider what really happened on the cross. You know, sometimes we just kind of skip over it. Um, when we come to Easter time, we skip over the idea of Jesus dying on the cross because we want to get to the good stuff. We want to get to the resurrection and the victory and the glory and all the, 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 the happy parts. And we, and skipping over the, the resurrection, or the crucifixion of Jesus, we sometimes miss the subtlety and the, the depth of what's going on there. And so that's what we want to really kind of address over the next few weeks as we head towards Easter is what really died on the cross. Because we know Jesus, he died there, but he rose again. But I believe there are some things that died on the cross with Jesus that that are not, they don't come back to life. They're not resurrected with Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross and just before he died, he said the words, it is finished. And I believe there are some things that were finished on the cross, and we're going to talk about those over the next few weeks. So um, I hope that's going to be helpful to you and have some purpose. And I think what we want to understand is that that in the New Testament, uh, Paul in particular talks a lot about the importance of identifying ourselves with the crucifixion of Jesus. It's great to identify with the resurrection, but we also need to understand what happened at the crucifixion. I think sometimes when we do look at the cross, we just over-sentimentalize it or be, we just see it as a place of mourning, a place of sadness. And that's okay, but but what's really going on behind there? Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attaining to the resurrection of the dead. This morning, what we want to focus on is we focus on how we identify with the death of Christ as we look at what we uh, leave at the cross, what dies at the cross. And today we want to focus on the idea is we leave ourselves, our individuality, our me becomes we at the cross. When you stand before the cross and you make a decision for Jesus, it's not just about a mental assent of, oh yes, I believe that Jesus died. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, so therefore I'm a Christian. Being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, coming to the cross demands more of us. 
In fact, we are asked to suffer with Jesus, to lay down our lives with Jesus. And in many ways, when we approach the cross, we as individuals die on that cross with Jesus. And we don't come back to life as individuals. Let me explain that a little bit as we, as we carry on through this message. You know, the, the, um, the disciples struggled with this. They struggled, they struggled with the, the fact that, that when they came, when Jesus said, come follow me, that he was really saying, you know, you're no longer independent people. You're my followers. Because when they came to, to Jesus dying on the cross, they kind of, they kind of stepped back. Uh, we know that Peter out and out denied knowing, he swore in front of people and said, no, I don't know that man. He wasn't willing at that point in his life to identify with Jesus to the point where his own life would be at stake. He said, he said, oh, I don't even know him. The other disciples didn't go so far as to not deny Jesus, but they, did, they weren't around either. The Bible says they ran away. They were, and if they were anywhere uh, nearby, they were far away. They may have watched from a distance, but they were, they were afraid at that moment to identify with Jesus because they loved their own life more than what Christ was demanding at the cross. Now, flip the pages in your Bible a little bit farther away from the Easter story and get into the book of Acts, and then you realize they got the picture. After the resurrection, with, when they could see what Jesus was doing, they began to understand what he was demanding and what he was inviting them into, and it was something they were willing to lay their life down for. In the early church, post-resurrection, uh, these disciples, these even Peter and all the disciples, they openly identified with Jesus Christ. They didn't deny him. They didn't hide. They openly identified with Christ. Paul said to uh, the governor of Rome, Felix, he said to him, uh, these words in Acts chapter 24, verse 14, I admit I follow the way. That's what they called themselves. They didn't call themselves Christians in the, in, in the early church. They called themselves followers of the way. Jesus said, I am the way. And they said, we're followers of the way. And so that's what they call themselves. He says, says, I admit I follow the way which they or others call a cult. So Paul and all the others, they came to a point in their life where they recognized to identify with Jesus meant they were stepping out from the norm, from what everybody was doing, and living a life that was different. And persecution became an expectation for them. Paul, Peter, all the disciples, all the followers of Jesus knew that persecution was quite possible, that there was no way to align with Christianity or to align with the way and to keep everybody happy around them. They couldn't, they couldn't be part, they couldn't be on, uh, following the way and also be pleasing to the Jewish, uh, religious people. They had to, they had to, they, they were at risk with the Jewish people. Stephen was stoned by the Jews because he was a follower of Jesus. Nor could they, nor could they throw their allegiance in with the empire of Rome. They couldn't find safety there because the political demands of the country of the empire of Rome demanded their full allegiance. You see, in the, in, you know, you read the New Testament, we read words and we think of them very commonly like Jesus is Lord or Jesus is the Son of God or He's the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace, the Lord of all. 
we, we say those things as Christians and we think nothing of it because to us, it's just, that's the words that you ascribe to Jesus. But in the Roman Empire, in the time of Rome, um, where, where, where this was all happening under the rule of the Caesar, these phrases were attributed to Caesar. He was king of kings. He was Lord of all. He was the, the, the Lord that you followed. He was the son of God. Literally, they believed that Caesar was, was, uh, uh, was begotten from God. And so when the Christians used these terms to talk about Jesus, they were actually saying something that was very provoking to the Romans. They were actually stepping outside. It's kind of, it's, it's almost like saying, you know, we're not going to stand for the national anthem. We are not going to honor this empire. We are not going to put our allegiance to this this system that you have here because Caesar is not our Lord. Jesus is our Lord. Can you imagine if, you know, you were in a group of people? Now, I have no problem standing for the national anthem, so it's not a problem here in Canada. I don't see it. I, I don't see the country asking me for my, my allegiance over and above my faith. And if they ever did, I would stop standing for the, I believe I would have the courage to stop standing for the national anthem. But for, for the, for the people in, in the New Testament, for them to actually, um, to call Jesus Lord, they were saying Caesar is not Lord. And they were saying we are not patriotic towards Caesar. We are not patriotic towards the empire. Neither were they patriotic towards their former religion of the Jews. And they didn't, they didn't, they didn't kowtow to the Jews demanding that they remain fixed and, and adhering to the law. They refused that as well. And so it set them out. It meant that they had to pull away from everything that was familiar to them and they formed their own group. They formed their own allegiances and their life became very different, markedly different than the rest of the world around them. They were, they, they began to, to see themselves as a marginalized group, a group of people that were different than everybody else. So what did they do? They began to reach out to other marginalized groups. They, you know, in Jerusalem, we're told in, in this, in the church in Jerusalem, they began to look around and they saw that there was a group of women in particular, that were, were, um, were not taken care of. They were widows, but they were Greek widows. So the Jews didn't take care of them, and the Romans didn't take care of them. They were outside of that realm, so the Christians took care of them. They were the ones that fed these, these, uh, these widows and their orphans. They took it upon themselves to do that. You see, the, the early church, they had no problem, it says, selling all their possessions and putting it in a common pot together in order for it to be distributed to the poor and used for the thing of the, for the work of the kingdom. They had no problem. They, they sold their land, they sold their property, they sold their possessions, and they brought all the money into the treasury of the church. Why? Because they knew if they didn't, if they didn't give it, if they didn't give it to the church, that it was going to end up being taken from them anyway. They expected that they were going to die and all of their possessions would be confiscated. Either Rome would get it or the Jews would get it or someone would get it. They didn't expect that they were ever going to be able to, to hold on to it. So why not give it in to the treasury and, and use it right now for the good of the kingdom of God? So you, you see what happened here is in, in this very brief time between the death of Jesus Christ 
and the early church, there was a shift that took place where people that became followers of Jesus saw that they were not, they were no longer living for themselves. They were living for the sake of the kingdom of God and for Jesus. And they forsook all. So let me just share with you some things and how that maybe implies to us. First of all, I want to point out that when we become Christians, when we become followers of Christ, when we stand before the cross of Jesus, it's a dividing line in our life. And we have to make a decision at the cross. And when we come to the cross, the first decision we have to make is that we're going to lay down our independence, our independent identity, and our independent living, and we take on a communal purpose the kingdom of God. Our purpose to live is no longer for ourselves, but it's for the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, it says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Oftentimes when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we talk about the different parts of the body and how we all work together as different parts of the body. One might be the hand, one might be the foot, one might be the arm, and we can't do without each other. And we talk about how we all have different gifts and we all have different, you know, working together. But what Paul, Paul points out here in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is we all come from independent places to form this one body. We no longer have that individual identity. We were once Jews. We were once Greeks. We were once poor. We were once slaves. We are now free. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're all different walks of life and we come together and we leave all of that behind and we identify now as the body of Christ. You know, many today in our culture, because we've we've kind of we've kind of been uh, uh, if if you're a Canadian, um, North American, European for much much of the part uh, as well. Because we have a Christian heritage that goes back to the Roman Empire and to this to the New Testament. Because we have this in our roots, we are kind of we are kind of um, uh, grandfathered in as the culture of the day. And so it's not so it's not so demanding of us. Nobody's trying to kill us for being Christians. In fact, you know, we, most people in our country would identify themselves as Christians. Catholic, Protestant, some kind of Christian heritage, and they would count themselves as Christians. You know, this is one of the things that, uh, that, that you know, uh, we often will say, oh, you know, such and such is a Muslim country. And we assume, you know, they're all Muslims, so they're all the same. Well, that's how people in the world look at North America, for instance. They look at us and they say, well, they're all Christians over there. And that's why they, they scratch their heads sometimes and they say, well, how do you, how, how, how do you, how do you, uh, be a Christian and have all of this, you know, uh, perversion going on? You know, you look at, you know, pornography and, and, and Hollywood and, and, you know, the music industry and all of this stuff that goes on and this glorification of sex and, and, uh, and drinking, you know, cause, uh, Muslims don't drink. And they look at our world and they say, if that's being a Christian, I don't want anything to do with it. Because we have a Christian culture that people view out there. And so we can, we can easily kind of slip into that culture. And, you know, you came to church this morning and, you, you know, none of your neighbors looked at you kind of funny that you were driving off to church on Sunday morning. Nobody picked up the phone and called the police and said, oh, 
Ian and Diane just headed to church. Right? Nobody did that. You see, it costs you nothing to come to church this morning. It costs you nothing personally to come to church this morning. Being in church is just a cultural thing for most of us. But Jesus really asks us to do more than that. He asks us to give him his life just like he gave his life. You know, there, we, we all come from different places, but when we come into the kingdom of God, when we come, become followers of Jesus, we lay aside our individual identity and we are, we are, we are given over to the kingdom of God. And our purpose should be to glorify Jesus. Our thoughts and our thinking should be to glorify Jesus and to work for his kingdom. But I think oftentimes we've just kind of slipped into just a cultural way of following Christ. Going to church, it's a good thing. Being good people, paying our taxes, not stealing, not swearing, you know, not, not, not being drunks and, and, and perverts and all those things. You know, we, we have our list of things that qualify us culturally to be a Christian, but really when we come to the cross, if we look at what, what it costs people in history to be a follower of Jesus, and not just in history, but even today, people are dying for their faith. People are hiding in church this morning because they, 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 they risk being arrested. It's not a cultural thing. It's a passion in their heart to follow Jesus and to live for his kingdom. Secondly, I want to push the point out that we, we trade our self-determination for obedience to Christ and his kingdom purpose. Jesus said these words before his death. He says, when, when Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Take up your cross. Follow me. There's a death that takes place at the cross. Jesus dies at the cross and we have to die at the cross as well. Not that, hand, not our hands will be pierced with nails or our feet will be pierced with nails or we'll have a spear on our side or a crown of thorns in our head. Jesus says that for us, but he does ask us when we come to the cross and we say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you, that we, we give ourselves to him in obedience and we literally follow him and his ways and his teaching. You know, as mentioned earlier, the terminology of lordship to say Jesus is Lord or Son of God or King of Kings, Prince of Peace, Lord of all, those were imperial titles that were already given to Caesar. So Christians were being very provocative when they said things like that or when they came up against the Jewish leaders and said, no, we won't circumcise our converts. We won't follow the Jewish tradition of circumcision. We won't force them to eat our food. We won't demand that they, that they become Jews in order to be Christians. They don't need that. They can go right to Christ and Christ, they're followers of Christ. And so they, they kind of just pushed away all of that and they, they lived in obedience to Christ and not to the kingdom of Rome or, or to the Jewish religion. But you know, what the uh, in the story of Jesus crucifixion there's an interesting part there that i think really shows how many times many of us live this cultural christianity when the jews the jewish they're called uh jewish leaders 
um, the high priests they're called in the scripture, when they're trying to get Jesus crucified, they have their own trial, and then they take him to, they take Jesus to Herod, because they don't have authority to kill Jesus. They take him to Herod, and then Herod says, well, I don't have authority either, because I, you know, uh, Pontius Pilate's in town and he, he, he actually is over me. So if you want him killed, you'll have to take him to Pontius Pilate because he was the leading Roman governor in the city at that time. And so Herod was no longer the supreme authority. Now Pontius Pilate was. So they took Jesus to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate had no desire to kill Jesus. He didn't see any reason to kill Jesus. But in order to, to, to get what they wanted, in order for the Jewish high priest to get what they wanted, they said, they said to, uh, Pilate, they said, well, you know, Jesus actually is, uh, a revolutionary of the empire. He's revolting against the empire. He calls himself the king of the Jews. And they say, they say this, they literally say this to Pilate. We have only one king, and that's Caesar. You see, they, their faith is just a cultural faith. And they really, in order to get their way, they're willing even to deny their own faith. You see, they hate Caesar. They're looking, they want the revolution. But when it comes, when push comes to shove, and they, they, they're standing before someone who can give them what they want, they cave and they, they, they give in and they say, oh, we don't have any king. We only have one king. He's Caesar. And sometimes when we, when we, when we are not willing, when we haven't counted the cost of what it means to follow Jesus, it's easy to be wishy-washy. And in one place we're one way, and one place we're another way. And we, we obey Christ in front of our, our Christian friends, but we live a different way in front of, of, of other people. And we have, you know, we, we take from this, per, this, uh, ideology over here for this part of our life, and this ideology, and, you know, we, we kind of pick and choose. We go to a smorgasbord of ideas, and philosophies, and ideologies. And we pick and choose what we want that suits us. But there is no doing that when we're followers of Jesus. Jesus is our final authority. Jesus is the one that we come to. You see, what we see is that as Christians, we must be ready to stand up against and push uh, the push of the systems of this world. We don't belong to the systems of this world. We don't belong to the financial systems of this world. Jesus was very clear on that. He said, you can serve me or you can serve mammon. You can serve money, but you can't serve both. And we have a, we have a financial system, an economic system in our world that demands our allegiance. And it's, it's all about, it's all about, um, getting wealth for ourselves. It's rooted in greed and it's rooted in, in, in taking advantage of other people. And doesn't matter who you trample on. As long as you get ahead, doesn't matter who gets abused in the process, who loses their job, who doesn't have income. There's, there's not a lot of morality in the system, but it says, you know, you're just looking out for number one and that's not Jesus way. We don't belong to the economic systems of this world. We don't belong to the political systems of this world. Some people will try to try to tell us that there's a certain ideology that is is more biblical than another ideology. There's no ideology that is biblical. It's just Jesus way. In the end, Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords, and in the end when he establishes his kingdom fully, there won't be an election. There won't be an election. 
there will be Jesus, and he'll appoint those who rule and reign with him. You see, we don't have a system that we have to bow down to. There's no leader. There's no, there's no, there's no king. There's no queen. There's no prime minister. And there's no president that can demand our allegiance over and above Jesus. Jesus is our king. He is our Lord. He is our master. There are social systems in our world that demand our allegiance, that say we have to bow down to their way of thinking. You know, we have to be, we have to be correct in the way we address, um, the, the issues of the day because they say, they've decided how we're gonna, we're supposed to do that. And they tell us how we're supposed to talk and how we're supposed to believe and how we're supposed to behave in certain situations. And if we don't, then we're put out. We're set, we're set aside. Because we, we speak up for what we believe in. Because we speak up for what we believe is right. We believe that Jesus has taught us to, 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 uh, to stand for. And they say, no, 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 that's wrong. That's old fashioned. That's not the right way to think about that. That doesn't work in our system of retribution. That doesn't work in our system of, of our way of looking at fairness or whatever they might be saying and whatever, whatever topic it might be. We stand on the word of God as spoken by Jesus. And Jesus says some radical things. He says, he says that if you, that, that if you have an enemy, you're supposed to love your enemy. If your enemy's hungry, give him food. Jesus said we're supposed to, we're supposed to live such radically different lives than the people of this world that are screaming to get ahead and get their way and get their moment of recognition. But we give all that up when we come to the cross. That dies at the cross. Our way of thinking, our way of living. We submit ourselves to the truth of the word of God as spoken by Jesus Christ. He is the word that speaks to us. Then I think one more thing before we close and go to communion. Baptism becomes the rite of passage confirming our forsaking self to serve Christ in the church. I have to tell you, I probably have not taught as well on baptism as I should have over the years. I've kind of made it, I think I feel a bit convicted that I've made it a bit of a, of a maybe a trite symbolic thing. But as I've been, been thinking about it and pondering it, and I look at the New Testament church, when they agreed to be baptized, they agreed to stand out, to be different. They were telling the world, we don't belong to you anymore, we belong to Jesus. And it's kind of like, you know, when, a, when, a, uh, when someone signs up to be uh, a soldier in an army and they want to represent their country in their army and they, 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 get, they enlist and they're given their uniform and they're told, okay, this uniform, you put this uniform on, you're part of our, our army, now you do what we say, you eat when we tell you to eat, you sleep when we tell you to eat, you run when we tell you to run, you sit when we tell you to sit. You work out when we tell you to work out. You go here, you go there, and we tell you you got to move across the world. You got to you got to represent your country somewhere else. You go. You don't have any choice. And when we're baptized, when we when we take that step to be baptized in into the church into Christ, we are actually it's like taking on that uniform. It's like as we're enlisting into the kingdom of God. We're, we're, we're enlisting and we're saying, no longer am I free to make my own decisions. 
No more do I take orders from Caesar or from uh, the high priest over here. I take my orders from Jesus. My will, my way of thinking, my self-determination, it dies on the cross with Jesus when I come to the cross. And that's why baptism, I think, is very important. And maybe we've lost a little bit of that. Maybe we've lost a little bit. And if you've never been baptized in water, I encourage you to think about it. You know, you may be, you know, you're a follower of Jesus and yeah, but think about it. This is, this is the chance. This is an opportunity for you to, to make a determination and say to the world publicly, because we do it publicly, that you're a follower of Jesus. It's your initiation right into the kingdom of God. Just happens that we're going to have a, a uh, baptismal service on Easter Sunday like we have for the last several years. So if you're interested in being baptized in water, that's something for you to think about. It's more than just a symbol. It's a rite of passage. It's initiation into a new system. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 46. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope and for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the f- and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. When we, when we come to Jesus, when we come to the cross and we say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow your way, I'm going to be a follower of the way, then we put aside our way. There's only one way, and it's Jesus' way. He's the leader. He's the one that we follow. Well, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. And those who are going to serve communion, you can get ready to do that as well. And you can begin passing out the emblems. Um, So they're going to pass out a tray. If you're here and you're not familiar with how we do this, they're going to pass out a tray. There's two cups on the tray. And uh, in the bottom cup, there is a, a little cracker. And in the top cup, there is some juice. And so you just hold on to that. Everybody is welcome to participate. If you want to participate, we have open communion here. If you feel like you're a follower of Jesus and you want to participate in this. But as we do this, I want to just ask you some, some probing questions. Some questions for you to reflect on. And then we're going to sing this song that uh, we're singing, I believe, right? Yeah. So we're going to sing this song that is based on the historic creeds of the church. And as you sing the lines of this song, I want you to realize that when you say these lines, when these, when these lines were written uh, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago almost, when these were written centuries ago. These were, these were words that just cut through and split truth from error. These are words that, that spoke out against empire. They spoke out against religion. They spoke out against superstition. They spoke out against self-determination. Uh, these were lines that said, these are the things that the church said, these, these are the must-haves, the words that we're going to sing here. And as we think about that, let me just, let me just give you some questions to think about. Have you literally bound yourself to Jesus? Are you his follower? Have you made a determination in your life that you are going to follow Jesus and when, when he speaks, you're going to listen and you're going to obey? 
Do you forsake all other gods, all other ideologies, all other systems in order to be in alignment with Jesus? Are you willing to, 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 to say no to the, the huge systems of this world? Do you, do you submit your finances to Jesus? Do you submit your, 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 your philosophies, your politics, your, your, your view of humanity? Do you submit that all to Jesus? What might have to change in your life if you got serious about following Jesus? Would you change how you handle your money? Would you have to make adjustments in how you treat the poor or how you treat your enemies? Would you have to think more, harder about which political or socio-ideologies that you hold to? Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized in a way that is meaningful to you where you have made a decision and you have made a proclamation that this is who you are and this is what you stand for and this is how you are going to live your life. If you have been baptized, what difference does it make? Has it made a difference in your life? Did you just get baptized and now you just carry on this life and nobody really knows that you're a follower of Jesus? Nobody, you, nobody really can tell the difference in your life? Are you just satisfied with being a cultural Christian? Lord, pierce our hearts with the truth of what it means to come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, those disciples, they were afraid to stand at the foot of your cross. But later on, each one of them had to make a declaration for you. And history tells us, Lord, at least legend tells us that every one of your disciples suffered a violent death or died in prison because of their following you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just give us the courage to stand before your cross today. And as we look at you upon the cross and we look at what you've called us to, may we in our hearts be willing